It's good to be back today. How's your uh, rainy, rainy spring going? Going okay? And then we have traffic going up north because of the construction. It's just a great month. <laughs> you know, as, as Pastor Roy asked me if to speak on this particular uh, passage, uh, I, was, I was really excited because when I read it, um, Romans is one of my favorite books. I mean, it's been said that it's one of the greatest letters ever written. And so, as I was reading through this particular passage of Scripture, I thought, wow, look at Paul. He's, he's giving honor to so many people. And so many people will help him in ministry, and he's wrapping up this chapter. And yeah, of course I'd love to speak on that. And then I started delving into the Bible commentaries and studies and reading what other scholars were writing about this passage of Scripture. And I think that every student of Christ, every follower of Jesus should be reading commentaries and good scholarly works, theological works on uh, the Bible. And so, as I was reading that, I, I started to get frustrated. Have you ever read something and just got a little frustrated, like something just didn't sit right with you? You ever? Come on. I mean, there are pages in the Bible that we should get frustrated at sometimes because it's very inconvenient for us. Very inconvenient. But knowing that it's the Word of God, we, we submit ourselves to that. So, as I was reading these these commentaries and these scholarly works, something started really bugging me, and that was that they were arguing either for or against women leadership, and I'm not going to base my sermon on that topic today. Your pastor will deal with that, and will continue to deal with that within your context, but I started to get frustrated because they were either saying Paul was saying, or Paul wasn't saying, or Paul was implying, or Paul wasn't implying, we should infer, we shouldn't infer, and they just kept on going and going. Each commentary that I started reading, I was just getting more and more frustrated because as I read that passage of Scripture, and not that I'm the best theologian, I'm just saying, as I read that passage of Scripture, I saw something completely different. I saw that Paul was wrapping up a letter to this Roman church that is this an amazing little body of Christ that stuck together, worked together, and started expanding and, and created a historical pivoting point for us. And as he was wrapping this up, he was beginning to share some very deep personal friendships and relationships. So, in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. And this is, you know, Pastor Roy, I think, gave me this passage because there's a lot of difficult names to pronounce. So, just bear with me, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So this is what some of the commentaries were saying. Paul puts Phoebe up on the pedestal of an apostle or a saint, and then some were saying, no, he doesn't, and others were saying this and that, and yet the words of Paul is like, welcome her. Just welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. In this passage here, Paul is introducing the wife before the husband, and then so the commentaries start blowing up on that. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, maybe 
Paul's point wasn't about women leadership. Maybe his point was, these are good people. These are my friends. These are people that have walked in ministry with me, and they're talented folks, and they've done a lot of things, and I just want you to welcome them and commend them and thank them for all that they've done, and that they even risked their necks for me. That they even stuck with me to the point that they could be arrested and persecuted. They, they stuck with me. Welcome them. In verse 5, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinesis, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. That's a big deal. The first convert risked his neck, risked their neck to stick out and say, I believe in Jesus. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus, and, and there's lots of different pronunciations for this, but Juania. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles. They were Christ before me. I, I don't hear, do you hear any, anywhere in there that, like, this is a person of leadership that you must respect. This is a person of this or they're an authority. I hear a lot of, man, these are great people. Do you hear the same? I'm sure there's a lot of implications in there that we should, we should really study and, and research, which I encourage you to do so. But as I started reading this in the commentaries, like I said, just a little bit of frustration kept coming up. In verse 8, this word, this name is really interesting. Please don't name your child this. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family Orestobulus, I guess. I'm reading the passage, and, and I'm thinking, Pastor Roy, this is a really difficult passage on so many levels, but I'm, I actually am in love with it. And I'm actually very excited about talking about it. Because I think the church often becomes divisive in and among itself for really no real big reason. See, this passage of Scripture is used by a lot of people to argue that Paul was in favor of women in leadership of the church, and then others that would say Paul was not so much in favor in women in leadership in the church. And I think the reason why we can argue that is because Paul didn't really care. He just was saying, hey, these are my people. We've done some amazing things, and I want you to welcome them, encourage them, thank them, bless them, feed them, clothe them, visit their church, support their church, because they're doing amazing things. And I believe that oftentimes, we as Christians, we start focusing on these auxiliary points or these points, and we miss the larger, most important point. And the most important point, I think, in this passage is that these are people that were skilled and talented, that risked everything they had to work with Paul, not just to follow Paul. They were following Christ, and as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, they're following Jesus Christ, working together in ministry, trying to change the world. In fact, they see converts all over the place, missionary posts, churches planted, and Phoebe's carrying this amazing epistle in her hand to bring it to this congregation. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And yet we can start arguing whether or not we should do it this way or do it that way. Or what side of this 
theological point do you stand on? Do you ever miss the big picture and focus on something just really doesn't matter to the big picture? Do you ever do that? I do that. I do it all the time. I think about in my job how the big picture in my job is that we serve people in homelessness and poverty. And we argue about how to do that best. You ever argue about how to do good things? You know, that sounds just a little bit off. Let's argue. Let's spend our time and energy and resources arguing about how to do good things because this good thing is better than that good thing. They're good things. Let's just just do them. But in, in my position at the mission, I have a lot of staff that I oversee and are at the mission, the motto is, um, or one of the vision statements is, serving those in greatest need. And the church, your church and other churches have mission and vision statements like that. The problem with, a problem with, not the problem, but a problem with statements of that nature is, you can translate that however you want. Because if somebody's in need, they're in need, and you may think this need is greater than that need, and there's no real definition in that short statement of who is in the greatest need. Anybody have pet peeves? Oh, it's okay to raise your hand, remember? It's okay. Pet peeves? One of my pet peeves, and this is not, this is not to point fingers or jab anything like that, because we, as a, as a body of Christ, the larger body of Christ, we raise up these efforts to be higher than another effort. And I think and look at James, it talks about the, the purest of religions to help the orphan and the widow. If you're helping the orphan and the widow, you're doing something good. Now, how you help the orphan and the widow is up to you. But as long as you're doing that and you're trying to better their life and trying to increase them in the knowledge of the gospel and help them to find a quality of life that they deserve, the human dignity, I think that's good. But one of the pet peeves that I have is that a lot of times Christian leaders or we ourselves we say you have to do it this way or you have to do it that way. And I feel like as long as you're doing it, it's a good thing. But even the pet peeve that I want to talk to you about is sometimes I'll visit churches and they'll, they'll, they'll talk about helping with human trafficking. And I think we all should do that. I think we should all be involved in that. But we also talk about helping people that are involved in it, but then in the country, in our country, in the United States of America, we have hundreds of thousands of orphans. And in the state of Washington, we have 10,000 children waiting to be adopted. And statistics show us that up to 70% of people, men and women involved in human trafficking, came from broken homes. They were children, they were foster children. And then I think, man, if you really want to make a difference in this world, you'd take care, we would take care of the orphans. We would take care of them. But then that's an argument as well. And so I think there is both. There is the help the kids before they get in the situation, and then please help the adults when they're in the situation. We should help from both ends. You know, this, the argument of go upstream. Yes, absolutely. But also, some churches need to stay downstream and help people that are there. 
in the midst of their problem. And I think if the church united, we could cover the whole stream from the front to the back instead of arguing about how to do it. So verse 10, greet Apelles who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Estrobolus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those who works in the Lord. I think this might be a dinosaur couple, Tyrannophenia and Tyrannophenia. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen. Listen to these words. Greet beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. kind of beautiful, right? Greet these people who have worked hard. You know, earlier in Paul's ministry, he has a big old fight with Barnabas because a young fella named John Mark wanted to go home in the middle of a missions trip. And he did. And Paul says, don't bring him because he's just not serious. And Barnabas says, no, bring them. And they fight, right? And they divide over this young guy. And later, Paul says, bring him because he's worthy. And I think as a younger man, Paul was probably more strict and stringent. Have you ever, well, you know some older people that are softer, like grandparents, any of you have kids and you realize that your parents are just softies with the grandkids? Or if you've experienced that? Or the youngest in the household, whatever that means. I think Paul, as he was aging, he was realizing this is hard. This is really hard. And if John Mark needed to take a break in the middle of a mission trip because he was stressing out, at least he's willing to come back later and let him come. But when he was younger, Paul was like, you're not worthy of this and argumentative and a little bit divisive. Working for Christ is, is hard work. And anybody that's willing to open their home, to hold a Bible study, to plant a church, to do a fellowship, anybody that's willing to step into the nursery and help a bunch of kids feel safe while their parents are worshiping God, anybody that's willing to work in this house and outside the walls of this house of the church is worthy of honor. But he's saying, thank you for doing that. I appreciate you for doing that. You're not only just a mother to your children, but you're also a mother to me, and I find myself in times where I don't have my mom around, and it's a blessing but we get so, we get so fighting about stuff. We get so, so distracted with the truth of the gospel, which is to love one another. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God 
the one love one another as yourself. And when we can love one another as ourselves, I think a lot of the arguments that we would have just kind of go away. The argument of what color are we going to paint the walls? What, what are we going to serve the kids for snack? What are we going to do with this or that? Or where should we go on our missions trip? Or how much money should we invest in this ministry or that ministry? Or why aren't you investing in my ministry as much as you're invested in their ministry? Of course, we as people, we get territorial. Anybody territorial? Yeah. Years ago, I used to, I used to sell cars. <laughs> I know. I know, right? I remember this. He wasn't my customer, but he was another salesman's customer, and he bought this brand new truck. It was in Texas, and so he bought this brand new Ford F-350. Do you know what that truck is? It's a huge truck. It has no business being in Seattle, but in Texas, that's where they are. They're king. And he buys it. It's a beautiful truck. He's going to use it for work, and he starts taking stuff out of his old, very beat-up truck, and he starts to put it into his brand new truck. And one of the last things he does is he's moving all his stuff. He's very proud. He's very happy to have this truck, he gets a hammer out of his toolbox, and he walks over to the front of the vehicle, and he goes, pow, right in the front fender. And, and of course, the salesman and spectators are like, what in the world are you doing? You just paid thousands of dollars for this truck, and you just banged it up with a hammer. And he says, now I don't have to worry about if it gets scratched or not. <laughs> and he's using it. Why? Because he didn't buy a truck just to look pretty. It's his work vehicle. It makes him money. It helps him get the job done. And when he was looking at it like an asset, like something that needed to be kept pristine, and when he was so proud of how pretty it was and clean it was and scratch-free it was, he would worry whether or not he could use it for his work, the intended purpose of why he bought it. But he, being smart enough, this old Texas guy, bangs it up himself so that he doesn't get mad at somebody else, one of his workers, if they scratch it. So he doesn't keep it in the garage and limit its use and usefulness because he's worried about whether it can be scratched or not. He's not arguing with himself whether he should take it to a job site or take the old truck or do this or that. He's already taken care of it. He has put it in its place and he has owned the vehicle, the vehicle doesn't own him. And I think for a lot of us, when we become territorial or argumentative with scriptures and, and try to commit people to say, your theology is bad, and your theology is bad, and mine's good, and you got to believe what I believe, this passage of scripture, I think the Apostle Paul, as he's writing it, he's not saying women should be, or women shouldn't be, or men should be, or men shouldn't be. He's just saying, hey, we have all labored in ministry. And we have all sacrificed. And these people that I'm mentioning to you are dear to my heart. And you need to take care of them as they come to you. Because they have, take care, they have taken care of you, and they have taken care of me. And if we're united, look at what can be done. Look at what can be done. And if God has called you to an area of ministry, which he has, if you're united with 
the pastor and the leadership and your co-laborers. Look what you can do. What do all these people have in common? If you've got a little bulletin insert, it's a question, and you can write. I'm going to say some points. You don't have to copy them. I want you to reflect. This is a question for you. What do these people have in common? Well, they came together for a cause bigger than themselves. It was bigger than themselves. Could they have done what they've done on their own? Could the Apostle Paul have done all the ministry he did without these people? Of course not. He needed them. They committed to follow through, even at the cost of their life. Even at the cost of life, Paul says, they've risked their neck for me. Take care of them. If you think I'm important because that church did, if you think I'm somebody because they did, then you need to think they're somebody because I could not have done what we have done without them. They are as important or should be to the ministry as you think I am, the apostle is saying. They gave their life. Some say they would die for our cause. They said they would give their life to it. As a young man, I, I used to think, you know, Jesus, you know when you're a teenager, you struggle with your faith. Jesus, if I, if I was born back in the day when you walked this earth and I saw all those miracles, I guarantee you I wouldn't have to ask you to forgive me of this anymore. I guarantee you I would live so faithfully. I would have died for you. I would have been one of those martyrs. And then I think later as I mature, really, if you can't live for him, you can't, you're going to die for him? The people that Paul is calling out and attributing honor to, they didn't just say they would, they did. And they didn't just say they would die, they lived their life. They abandoned things, they gave up on things, they walked away from power and prestige. These were successful people, many of them. And they gave their life's work over from what they wanted to do to what God wanted them to do. And they did so diligently and thoroughly. That's what they have in common. So what are you committed to? Is it a relationship with Christ? And is that relationship important enough to live your life sharing the good news? Live your life sharing the good news. I was reading a, a blog of a, a pastor because I was, I was Googling and looking for some information on how different pastors had preached on a, a, a particular passage of Scripture, not this one. And this guy was pastoring some small church in the Midwest, and yet his sermon or his illustration just kind of like got a whole bunch of views over the years. And so as you Google things, you know, the top 10 things that come up or so many different reasons, but it came up and I was reading it. And this, this guy, this pastor in this small town, he gives this illustration. He says, when you want, when you really want to see God move in your life, when you really want to see God move in the lives of others through you, pray this very simple prayer. God, open the doors. Sit. Open the doors. 
God, open my mouth. Because we pray for opportunity, right? So he's saying, pray for opportunity. God, open the doors. And then when the opportunities come, God, open my mouth that I could be courageous enough to speak and say something about it. And God, open their heart that they would be willing to hear what it is that you have put on my mouth. Open the door, open my mouth, and open their heart. Very simple. If you're committed to Jesus, and you're thankful for what he has done for you, and you're thankful for all the people that have helped you in life, I think you would be compelled to want to be committed to live your life sharing the good news. So what are you committed to do with your friends, leaders, and followers in this church or in this community? Could you imagine, and I think you have, because this is a growing church, it's a wonderful place to be, that you've committed, I'm going to commit to work, I'm going to commit to help, I'm going to commit to do, I'm going to commit to do these tasks that may even seem very minimal, but they're very important. And I'm going to commit to doing the hard work, the work that other people don't want to do, because I still want to see God move in people's lives. And God, as you find me faithful in the little things, I pray that you would give me opportunity to be effective in the larger things. And that's what that group of people did with Paul. I can imagine that they were just this this ragtag group. Paul was highly educated, and other people were successful, but they just... They just banded together and moved through the countryside, seeing all this work be done. And the third thing I want you to ponder is, what can be done through this group? What are your skills? Is it just to be a warm-hearted person? As Paul said, greet this person. They're a great mom, and they've been a mom to me too. They're loving. They're nurturing. They make sure everybody has eaten. They cook way too much food, because that's what moms do, especially Asian moms. So just love on her, because she's really good at that. And she does it as if she's doing it to the Lord. And she takes it as her ministry. What if you committed your skills to this body and the leadership and the community? What if you did? What if you committed that? What can be done here? What can be done in your neighborhood? I think a lot. I think a lot to the point that other people would come to know Jesus and they would say, oh, this person, you, they're good people. And they led me to Jesus. A week or so ago, I was at a conference and um, Lisa Bevere, who's a pretty well-known Christian female leader. She shares a message, and I'm not going to do it justice. I just want to take a little point that she made and ask you to ponder it. I think there are a lot of things that divide church. Style of worship, style of building, style of preaching, 
theology, that theology. There are so many more things that unite us than divide us, but we oftentimes think of those very things that divide us and cause more division. And she spoke this very eloquent and timely message about men and women and all the things that are going on in our society and all the hashtags and all the movements and all the stuff. And she said, I think that we often forget that woman was the answer to the first problem. I, I giggle because she said it in a joking manner, but very pointed. Because God said after he created man, it's not good that he be alone. So he created woman. So he fixes humanity's first problem with a woman. So she's the answer. So if you ever have to argue, just say, I am the answer to your problem. <laughs> I don't know if that's correct or not, but I thought that was unique and very interesting. And then she said, and the reason why the enemy came to man and woman and caused division among them is because when they unite their voice together, out comes a song with such beautiful harmony that the enemy trembles when they unitedly praise and pray to God that he would move. And therefore, he causes division amongst what God made good and beautiful. Two parts to be one whole. And I thought that was extremely challenging and convicting. That not just between men and women and what we think in leadership of the church, but in marriage and in relationship with the church. And if you, as a group, as a congregation, work closer together to unite your voice for one cause, the larger cause, which is that people would come to know Jesus Christ. The beautiful song and the harmony that would come from it would make the enemy tremble and the community look towards you because they are craving to see that. Our society is craving to see people working together and embracing differences and unique styles and opportunities, skills, and talents that somehow we can work together for a greater cause, something larger than us. And in the passage of Scripture, in Romans 16, I think it's in a beautiful, beautiful example of how Paul gathered together people of different backgrounds, different education, different opinions, different gender, and said, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And at the end of our lives, we'll see what can be done. Isn't that beautiful? Can somebody come play the piano softly? And I just, I think it's appropriate that we would reflect. Where am I being divisive? What have I allowed to be more important than the simple gospel message? Where, where have I gotten territorial? Or where have I let some of my relationships suffer because I feel like my point is stronger or 
or they should do it my way. And, and where am I hiding my talents? Because I'm, I don't want to do that. Then how can I make it right? How can I let my hands, my mouth, my feet get closer and closer to somebody else's hands, mouth, and feet that together we can work for the gospel and see what is accomplished I think that's a beautiful message. So we just pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you, like, do you need to apologize to somebody? Do you need to re-engage in something? Do you need to look back at some scripture and be more open-minded about something? Do you need to just put an argument aside and pick up a cause instead? A real one? Dear Jesus, as we pray and as we reflect, help us to just be better, to do good, to strive not to harm, to be welcomed in the homes of the people that we're ministering to. I just pray that you would bless this congregation and just help us to understand more. Not that we may have glory, but that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name.